I don't know about you, but I have really enjoyed this study so far on the book of Philippians. And today we're going to get to jump into the second chapter of the book of Philippians, this letter to the church in Philippi. So if you want to go ahead and pull your phone out and get your Bible, or uh, you know, if you have a classic Bible, a Bible classic, which is a paperback Bible, you know, that's great too. You can open that and uh, find Philippians chapter 2. Uh, we learned in the first week that uh, the gospel breaks down barriers. It breaks down walls. And the things that separate us don't stand when we remember who Jesus is and why he came. And week two, we saw that we're now living in bonus time, that we can sing in prison. We can sing in our problems because the reality is, as Christians, as followers of Christ, that prison is better with Christ than hell without Christ. So right now we can be excited about where we are at and we can say the words that Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that's the correct attitude to have if you're a Jesus follower, uh, that God, if you get glory by my life, then awesome, excellent. But if you get more glory through my death, then so be it. Whatever brings you more glory. So to glorify Christ and to live it is awesome, but to die and see Christ is a win-win situation. Now, in, in our Christian culture, uh, there's a, a certain uh, sect of casual Christians, and these type of ideas that we're talking about right now, uh, a social Christian that's a Christian in name and not really what the Bible says, these type of uh, statements, to live as Christ, to die as gain, that I just want to bring glory to Christ. With my, those are extreme statements for those that uh, just casually are Christians. But a real Jesus follower that wants to follow uh, the Bible way of following Jesus is going to want to glorify Christ with their life no matter what. So we're going to be in verse 1. And these are just, these first five verses are so packed of, uh, with Bible truth and encouragement. So let's start here. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit and affection and sympathy, he says, complete my joy of being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, in unity and of one mind. This sounds really familiar to the end of chapter 1 uh, in verse 27 when uh, Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ with one mind, striving side by side together for the faith in the gospel. And this is encouraging us to be one in Christ as a church body, young and old, coming together. Not everybody, uh, or not one person shouldering all of the burden, but all of us as a body coming together and fulfilling these things of affection and comfort and love and participation, sympathy and unity. This is the picture of what a church should be. And in verse 3, it challenges. This is a big statement in verse 3. It says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Well, that's a big statement right there, right? Do nothing. Don't be motivated at all through selfish rivalry, uh, hating people for the blessings that re they receive, jealousy, arrogance, pride. And we must also be people that never take joy in other people's failures, how many of y'all have ever kind of wished that somebody uh, would end up 
being wrong or, or failing at something because you knew it was going to prove your argument right so that you can later on say, I told you so, right? I'm raising my hand. I've done that before. I'm like, all right, we disagree. I hope it goes terribly for you. So I can tell you later on that, but that's not the right attitude to have, right? We're not supposed to do anything from our selfish ambition or conceit and to be people uh, that are jealous or take revenge or to make ourselves look better than someone else. Uh, have you ever thought of someone else as less than a Christian than you are because they're different and they have a different uh, standard or qualifications? Now, I love hymns, and I grew up in a church that only sang hymns. But when I say that, I mean hymns that are like not recent hymns, like 200 years old hymns. That's the hymns that no, no drums or guitar. Those were devil's instruments, and you couldn't have them. I'm, I'm not joking. This was real. Uh, and, and that was the, the type of church that I grew up in. And uh, it wasn't even like Southern gospel. Uh, and if you listen to contemporary Christian music, oh man, you were liberal. It was, it was man, we were going to throw you out of the church because of that. And, and just so you know, yes, I've had bad church experiences as well, just like you have. We've all had those times where we're like, oh man, I don't know if this is what church people are supposed to do. But they had their ideas and their standards. And if you didn't live up to them, then you were less of a Christian. Yeah, maybe you're saved, but you're not going to get the rewards in heaven that I am because you have that evil Christian rock music in your life. And I'm not talking about headbanging skillet music. I'm talking about Point of Grace and Twyla Paris and uh, Michael W. Smith. Even Bill Gaither was out of bounds. You don't do that kind of stuff. That's wrong. And if you didn't do what they thought was right, then you were less of a Christian. But I can do that too sometimes, right? I, I have to confess that I've been at points in my life where I began to do the same thing, but in reverse, like this. Well, those hyper-fundamentalists, uh, they, they don't understand worship like I do. The, the worship, they worship uh, tradition and religion more than they worship God, and I know better than that. And they just haven't experienced real closeness to God like I have, and they're dead spiritually, but I'm alive. And, and I begin to lift myself up, and I'm more of a Christian than they are, and my worship is more genuine, and I'm not married to tradition, and I'm more advanced, and I'm more enlightened than those people. And what I can do is I can begin to glory in myself rather than Christ. And I can begin to do the exact same thing that I was upset that they were doing. And I can get caught up in those same exact things. They can think they're better because they wear a suit. And I can think I'm better because I don't worry so much about outward appearance and what people think. But in the end, we're both filled with pride. And instead of loving people where they're at, we begin to become judgmental. And we begin to think we're better. And I heard this phrase a long time ago that you can't put someone down without lifting yourself up. And we begin to think that we're better and we've got it all figured out. Now, there is a problem in the world today, though, that people misunderstand what uh, judgment is. Uh, it's not wrong to identify sin and say that's sin and that's wrong. That's not judgment because we're saying, now, now, if we make up the standards of what makes sin, then it is judgmental. But if we rest on the judge of the universe and what he said down through his words, then we know that we're not being judgmental. We're saying this is right and this is wrong, as long as it comes out in love, right? Because right and wrong are not personal opinions that we have. 
Uh, it's not judgmental to say that premarital sex is wrong. The Bible tells us that. It's not judging to say homosexuality is wrong. The Bible tells us that. God is the judge, not me. The law has been passed down, and it's our responsibility to lovingly warn people about those dangers after we establish a loving relationship with them. So going up and holding up banners that tell us, uh, tell everybody on the side of the street what we think is right and they think is wrong is not the way to go about it. And it's not just sins that I'm uncomfortable with, right? It's not just, because that's how people do that a lot of times. Well, I don't like that sin, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rail on that sin and say that sin's worse than all the other sins. It's not about that. It's because God gave us the wisdom that sin hurts people. Sin hurts people. And if we love people, we must warn them about sin. And we might not always understand why God defined different things as sin, but we must love them and warn them because sin hurts them. But where we get in a problem is where we walk around and we think we're better than those people or that we are closer to God than everyone else is around us. See, the Bible is clear that that's not the way we're supposed to live as Christians, through selfish rivalry, selfish ambition, jealousy and revenge, vainglory, arrogance. Those are dangerous attitudes to have. Verse 3 goes on and explains it even uh, a little bit more. It says, but in humility... I'm going to pause here a real long time so we we look at this because this is crazy. You're not going to believe that this is in the Bible. But in humility, count others... More significant than yourself. Wow. Right? That's a, oh, I don't want to hear that. I don't like that. Can we scratch that verse out of the Bible, right? In humility, count others more significant than yourself. So instead of vainglory, instead of rivalry, arrogance, and conceit, we through humbleness need to see others as more significant than we are. In other words, truly putting others first. And this is counterculture big time right now. We hear all the time, put yourself first. You need to think about yourself. You need to have self-care. You need to treat yourself, right? We hear that all the time. You need to go out and you need to think about yourself. But see, many of the time what we do is we, need, is we disguise selfishness under these guises. And we, we really are self-centered. And we use these excuses, And we aren't actually doing good to our inner self, like self-reflection and admitting flaws and setting inner goals, making progress, submitting to God. We're not actually helping ourselves. We're actually hurting ourselves by making ourselves the center of our universe. Now, it is important, don't get me wrong, it is important to monitor your spiritual, physical, and mental health. But that is not the purpose of your life. Jesus did not come to die on a cross so that you would be happy. That is not the goal of your life. See, the Bible challenges clearly to count others more significant than yourself. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. Verse 4 says, let each of you, not, uh, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also on the interests of others. Now, notice here, it doesn't say that you can't have interest, but what it does says is we're also going to look after the interests of those around us as well. 
We should constantly live in such a way that we care about other people's lives and at times consider their needs more important than yours. I'm not saying this up here from a person that's got this figured out at all. These are hard statements. It's not natural. We learn all the time. It's supposed to be survival of the fittest, right? Losers are going to lose. That's just what they do. And I'm not a loser. I'm a winner. I'm not going to care about them. Why should I care about that little twerp? He's not on my level. Why should I care about the drunk or the drug addict? They deserve where they're at. Why should I care about that girl that keeps giving herself away? She's just a this. I'm going to categorize her as this. I'm going to forget that she's a soul. I'm going to forget that she's a person and she's someone's daughter. I'm going to call her this so I don't have to think I have to care about her. Why should I help the poor? Why don't they help themselves? And we do these things so that we can distance ourselves from people and think that we don't have to think about their interests and their cares. But the Bible says something different. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look, let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also on the interests of others. Don't think about what you need so much. Think about what other people need. Who does that though, right? Who does that? Jesus did. Jesus constantly put his needs to the side. He never owned a home. He never married. What possessions did he ever own? Maybe the clothes on his back. Yet he constantly walked around and met other people's needs. Feeding people, healing people, raising people from the dead, and and healing loved ones and caring about them, giving people the gospel, teaching them and loving people who ended up turning their back on him. And remember, he's omniscient, omniscient, so he would know that these people he's ministering are just going to burn him. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus treated Judas in such a way that the other disciples had no idea that it was Judas that was going to turn his back on Jesus. This is someone we would say, well, that's his enemy. Why is he treating his enemy that way? Let each consider others better, more significant, more important than himself. Just look at Jesus' ministry. What could the woman at the well possibly do for Jesus? She was an outcast, caught in adultery. If he spent time with this woman, she would ruin his reputation. And what does he do? He gave her the gospel. He took time for her. What did the lepers have to offer Jesus? What if they got it on him, right? Gross. This is nasty. I don't, there's pus and there's blood and I, I need to keep my, it kind of stinks a little bit. I need to keep my distance. And what did he do? He touched them. Why would Jesus give a moment of time to a thief on a cross? Hey, dude, I can't talk right now. I'm kind of being crucified. I know you have problems, but I have problems too. No, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. And he constantly put others first. Now, when you're focused on others, I'm going to warn you, though, it gets messy. People are going to use you. When you give people chances, there are going to be times where they don't live up to it. And you can decide, I'm going to be like Jesus and I'm going to give people second chances and second and third and fourth and fifth chances like he has given us. Or we can say, forget it. I'm going to write them off. 
I'm just so glad that Jesus hasn't done that with me yet, right? See, we didn't have anything to offer Christ. We were below him, living against the way that he had given us to live. And if anyone could ever stick his nose up in the air and walk around and avoid the lowly people of this world, if anyone could say they deserve what they are getting, it was Jesus. So let's rewind and look at this whole passage of Scripture from the top. Verse 1, Paul tells them, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. Being of of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Another version says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own thing, but every man also on the things of others. Who does that? Everyone looks down their nose at somebody, right? Who lowers their needs and lifts up the needs of others? Who makes others more important and significant than themselves? Who even thinks that way? Jesus did. And you're commanded to do that as well. He says it right after that next verse said, let this mind be in you. This whole uh, thing that I've just described, this attitude, this way of living that I have just described to you, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means think like Jesus. Be like Jesus. Have the mind of Christ. See, the Bible is not just a self-help book. It is a forget yourself and think of others book. Jesus was not Dr. Oz or Deepak Chopra. He wasn't here to better your life and to make you have a more successful life. Jesus didn't come so that you could find yourself. He came so that you could lose yourself in him, the one that created you. Matthew 16, 25 says, Forever with, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Bob Goff says it this way, and this is awesome. He says, our problem following Jesus is we're trying to be better versions of us rather than a more accurate reflection of him. See, this whole thing called church and this body that we live in is not just trying to be better people. It's actually trying to be like Jesus. Because the things that Jesus did are not just better versions of us. It's a totally radical, different way of thinking. So the prayer and the challenge today for us is, Lord, help me to have the mind of Christ. Help me to see others the way that you see them. More of you, Jesus, and less of me. Let me be in the background and and your spirit living through me. Help me not to glorify in my ideas or my standards or my morals or my understanding of the Bible. Help me to look, uh, not look down my nose on people, but lift up others. And help me to put the needs of others before my own and make others' needs more important than my 
comfortability. Help me to igno- not to ignore my emotional and mental and physical state, but to realize that my purpose in life is not to lift myself up and to be happy and to be successful, but rather to lift up those around me and to have the mind of Christ. God, help me not to withhold any good thing from anyone whenever I have the power to do it. Help me to be like Jesus. Let's stand on our feet and bow our heads. So worship team comes. I venture to say that every single one of us, if you're anything like me anyhow, every single one of us struggle with this and not just a little bit, a lot. If you're anything like me, then you're, you're the center of your show. And your life is the Phil Wayman show or insert your name there. You've got a theme song and everything. Laugh track when you say things that are funny. And you're the star of the show. But that's not how it's supposed to be. The Bible tells us to think of others more significant, to be humble, to do nothing with pride or arrogance or rivalry, thinking that we're pushing our agenda and our ideas because our way is better. No, God's way is the best way. Have your heads bowed and eyes closed. God spoke to your uh, heart tonight, this morning. You can use your chair there as a place to meditate and pray about what God just spoke to your heart about. That's why Paul can say this thing, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Because it's all about Jesus. Altar's open this morning. If you want to come down, you feel like God's touched your heart to do that. You say, God, help me to put others first like you did. Help me to be like you. Help me to have the mind of Christ. Don't leave today without dealing with what God spoke to your heart about. Hey, this thing is not uh, that we're doing. This worship service is not a show where you get to the end and you're like, oh, that was good. No, this needs to be a place where we make changes and we knock off our rough edges. I know I'm going to pray here in just a second. God, help me to put others first. Help me to think of others as more significant than myself. If you feel led, you come down, you use your chair to pray.